It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there. I'm here in the studio. I've got our good friend, co-host, Camulus Cam Robinson on the phone and on the Skype. Hi, Cam. How you doing? Good, Gary. How about yourself? Uh, you know, as good as be expected. You know, folks, I, I'm not sure some of the episodes are going to come up, and I won't say anything about the coronavirus, and some of them I'll say it, but we're both we're both uh, on lockdown uh, for the coronavirus, <laughs> and, and uh, Cam can't go into work, and I don't have to go into work, but I'm old enough that I'm, st- I'm staying home. I'm staying away. Very scary thing, isn't it, Cam? You know, this is going to be one of those things you look back in history, and 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 kids are going to say, "Do you remember? Do you remember living during the coronavirus?" And you, you know, it's 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 an interesting time, but oh, yeah, yeah, it is it is kind of scary when you see people in the grocery store with masks and all. You know. Oh man, I know. I tell you, that first day I went in the grocery store about a week ago, was kind of paying attention to it, and all of a sudden our mayor said he's doing an emergency. <laughs> He's calling it a state of emergency in the city. And I said, shit, let me look at the groceries. And, you know, we, we don't really keep a lot around here. So I went over to the Walmart Neighborhood Mart, and, man, people were flogging that thing, and they were panicked. You could see panic look in their eyes. Now, they weren't fighting or anything, but they were grabbing stuff. And by the time I got there, all the toilet paper was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I, had, I didn't even look for hand sanitizer. Uh, I've come to find out since then that all you need is a good soap and water is the best thing yeah. anyhow for that. Yeah. Anyhow, so, you know, we're we're hunkering down. you got plenty of groceries there, Cam, yeah, all the uh, things that you like to we're eat. We're good. We're good. We're just in uh, Chicago, so we got plenty of uh, plenty of pork stocked up. So we're uh, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're okay. Well, I, I got enough to last us uh, probably three weeks right now. We know there's just two of us and we don't eat a lot and – and then I'll, I'll have to get something after that. But I did get a great big bag of dried beans and dried rice. There you a go. bag of beans. So, you know, and, and, uh, and worst comes to worst, you know, I, we got beans and beans rice. Beans and man. rice. There you <laughs> we go. We can live another week or two on that. <laughs> so I, I want to thank a couple of people. First of all, I want to thank uh, Tim Wegman from um, Des Moines, Illinois. He has um, been a kind of a regular uh Supporter of the podcast. He's an attorney up there in Des Moines. We've had some 
goings back and forth with email. He he is he's a guy. I may have mentioned this before. He is the guy that went to the Gotti trial and watched uh, Sammy the Bull uh, testify for two days. So he he emailed me again and said that he wanted to let me know after I talked about Joe Butch Correo when I interviewed uh, uh, Steve St. John, who was with him in the penitentiary, and when we did the show on William Peace, the uh, right. the guy that was uh, the New York, New York City police officer that was uh, snitching to Gotti. Right. Uh, he went to the trial, and he saw him there, and he'd got a really good picture at him. <laughs> he said he was staring right at me. <laughs> I said, man, you're, I think you're a bold dude. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he said he also uh, saw uh, Sally Bugs, Sal Brulio, who was— uh, Brulio. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the... he's an interesting guy. You know, and another and another time, a friend Tim— was down in El Reno, Oklahoma, doing a, he's a lawyer, he's doing a deposition down there, and he asked to see Gene Gotti, he was down there, he was working in the laundry, and he was able to go see Gene Gotti. <laughs> he didn't say he talked to him, it was did see him. I, don't, I guess he maybe just peered through the bars wherever he was. A guard just said, hey, there he, there he is, I don't know. <laughs> There's Gene. <laughs> hey, Gene's on display. So anyhow, uh, Tim, I, I really appreciate your support. He's uh, He's got some different suggestions, and Tim will get around to them. Right now we're, we're kind of like, we got we're into this pizza connection case big time and i've got another one that i just did uh, but i'll keep these in mind uh, what what you suggest he's got a bunch of good photos if he ever he's not that far away i may come up go up through uh des moines stop and see him have lunch with him he's got a bunch of photos that he took when he went to that uh, uh trial in new york city you know those mob guys they always go to the boss's trial. I, I had to testify once, and, and I looked out in the Savalas, and, and the whole family, I mean, everybody was out there in the audience <laughs> watching. <laughs> it's a little bit intimidating, actually. Shit, I reckon it's supposed Weird to be. Is, uh, uh, he was asking about a guy called uh, Kakai Louie, Louis Thomas Fratto. Said he changed oh, yeah, his name to yeah. Louis Farrell. Yeah. She's from Chicago who came to Des Moines, who who ended up in Des Moines, where this guy's from. He was at Appalachian at the meeting there, and he'd been a hitman. So that might be a story we would want to do. Yeah. Here's another guy, my my friend from uh, Dan from Sydney, Australia. I just heard from him again recently. He told me, he said, the disruptions there are immense. Uh, He's a lawyer, too, and he's... Uh, they called down the. They, they called off all the court cases, but first they have to wait. In, they had to wait in isolation, then call them party by party to go in to the courtroom. Everybody wasn't going in the courtroom, and everything. A lot of things are being done by video, but I think they've co- totally closed them down since then. Uh, he's a guy that said, "I've been enjoying your recent episodes." The recent collaborator, Cam, in my opinion, brings a wealth of information and a great voice to your podcast. You hear that, Cam? I, I do. I do. If he's a, <laughs> okay. I, I do. I do. If he's a Sydney, we're going to have to do uh, Terry Clark and George Freeman and some of those guys. We're going to have to do some Australian shows. And do some Australian story, him talking that nice about you and being a big podcast supporter. <laughs> 
Okay, moving right along. I, I know folks want to get to this Pizza Connection case. And oh, uh, one one other big shout out to Casey Walsh. He uh, Casey's was gone for a couple of weeks and just got back. We were supposed to have coffee again. I have a a a mob artifact for him. So Casey, if you're listening to that, as soon as this thing's over, we're going to get together and get some coffee. And and I'm going to get you that Kansas City mob artifact that I, I came into possession of. Cam, let's get into the pizza connection. You All know, right. We, we've talked about uh, Tommaso Bruschetta and how important he was. I've talked to the FBI agent Lee Flossie from Chicago, who was intimately involved in this. Mm-hmm. The, he really coordinated the interaction and the, the task force activities from New York City to uh, the Italian, Car- how do you pronounce that, Carab- Carabini? Carabinieri. 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 He, yeah. He, uh, Lee Flossi really did a lot of work. He was the legal attache for the FBI in Rome during the Pizza Connection case. And you've listened to that podcast by now. I'm going to play that just before this one, I believe. And and, and he really did a lot to uh, coordinate the FBI and uh, Carabinieri. Man, I butchered (laughs) butchered that one up. (laughs) I need my butcher's apron on. Oh, well, that's part of my charm, ain't it, Uh, Kim? That's right. That's right. Uh, and and he got to know Judge uh, Falcone, Giovanni Falcone, really well and hosted him over here in the United States and was really personal friends with him. So that was, that was a pretty good episode. Cam and I, if you remember, went back into history, the very first one, and, and how this whole uh, Pizza Connection thing, what happened before that, up through the, uh, the French Connection and all that. So now we're up to 1972, the investigation. Bonanno War is over. Joe and Bill Bonanno are pretty well gone from New York City. They're out in Arizona. The the boss of the Bonanno family now was appointed by the commission, I believe, wasn't he, Ken? Yeah, Yeah, Rostelli was. It was. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Rusty Rustelli. But Carmine Galente is out of the penitentiary. He was the old banano consigliere. And he, if I remember right, when I did the story on him, he just kind of bulled his way in and said, yeah. you know, I now I'm the boss. And, and Rusty basically went into prison at that time. So as Galante's coming out, Rusty's going in around the same time, you know, ballpark. So and Galante, he was pretty much plotting to take over. You got uh, a couple guys who were in prison with him at that time. Uh, uh, you know, the 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 guy from the, the one of the first turncoats. Uh, oh, uh, Vinny Teresa. Vinny Teresa was in prison with, with Carmine Glunt. And he said that as soon as he gets out of prison, this was in the 70s, he's going to take over. And, and that's exactly what he did. And uh, Rusty Rostelli is, was a tough guy, but he wasn't wasn't on the level of somebody like uh, somebody like Galente. Everybody's afraid of Galente. I remember that. Even the 
the big, tough black dudes in the penitentiary. Yeah. I read one story about how he just bullies way up the front and, and even used the N-word on him, and, and nobody would—that man must have—he he must have been something. Now, now remember that original 1957 meeting in Sicily. Was that at the Hotel Des Palmas? Yes, Des Palmas. Uh, Joe Bonanno and Lucky Luciano and several members of the Sicilian Mafia were together, and that's kind of when they, they put this together. Uh, Gaetano Badalamente, who will become more important, was a uh, mob boss in, in Sicily. He was actually an underboss, I think, at that point in time. Mm-hmm. He will eventually become a boss, and Tommaso Buscetta was there. During the 1960s, the Bonanos and the Gambinos will work with Sicilians to start bringing heroin into the United States. But at that point in time, they had the French connection. Right. And, you know, it was coming out of, uh, a lot of it was coming out of Southeast Asia because they had those connections back to Vietnam when the uh, mili- their military was over there. And they were they were getting booted out by the 60s. And, yeah. But the uh, law enforcement broke up that French connection. And, and that was the Lucchese were involved that. a lot with that. And then they, co- they, oh, right, they kind of got right. kicked out of that then. But anyhow, the, that whole French connection was, the whole thing was taken down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Check out Robin Cook book by that same name. Then the movie, of course, we all know the movie was by William Friedkin was the uh, was a director. It was a heck of a movie with uh, Popeye Doyle. Everybody remembers Popeye Doyle. You picking your feet in Poughkeepsie? Huh? <laughs> you remember that line? <laughs> I tell you what, in modern times, what he what they were doing in that bar? Oh my God, <laughs> you couldn't get away with that shit today. <laughs> That's a hell of a good one. Uh, moving right along, in 1966, Tommaso Bruschetta is found by law enforcement and uh, documented he was in Brooklyn running a pizza joint, and he actually bought a couple more. So he's getting in the pizza business, and he's on the lam a lot from Sicily because of these mob wars they've got going on. Uh, he's pretty well. He's a good businessman. They they said that he'll give away all of his leftover cooked pizza when he closes each night to, to different people. So he's really well liked in yeah, the that, neighborhood. Yeah, that, that gets you know everybody that. on your side, keeps them quiet, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's smart. You start running a surveillance in that neighborhood on him, and and they'll be running down there saying, "Hey, hey, that's right." <laughs> those FBI and those coppers are sitting up the street. I think they're watching you. That's right. Because uh, he's he's been getting away the free pizza. Those guys, you know, they know they know the deal. Uh, all drug dealers are like that. They try to make friends with the neighborhood neighbors around them so they can get that inside. That was the problem with running the surveillance in neighborhoods in those ethnic neighborhoods. Man, it's just almost impossible. During this time, he connects with a couple others to say in Saka and Salvatore Catalano. And they're both living in New York, and they're connected to the Bonanno family. And, and Salvatore Catalano, I think he had a, like a deli or something at mm-hmm. this point in time. This is how you put things together, get these disparate pieces of information. You know, they see him there. They find out he's running a pizza place. They, they find these other Sicilians there running businesses. They run Knickerbocker Avenue, which was really the heart of Bonanno country, or Bonanno that's I guess, right, country yeah. might be the right word. Yeah, that was their, that was their <laughs> headquarters. That, that's where Carmine Galante, Galante got killed. Was that was at, uh, Pete Licata's. Was name of that restaurant? It was uh, Joe and Mary's. Joe and Mary's Italian. Joe and Mary's. And that was that was on Knickerbocker Avenue. He's originally under a guy named Pete Licata, and and they're connected to the Bonanno family during right. this time. Nineteen seventy, Italian cops stop a car and they find Gatano, Badalamenti, and Tommaso Buscetta together. Dude, you start picking up these different little clues. Mm-hmm. Say these guys are together and they're both connected to the heroin trade, and and they're really you know pretty important stature in the Sicilian mob. 
and that's when you realize there's something going on and this is probably what it has to do with as you as you try to figure out what is going on because nobody's going to tell you especially out of sicily it's easy for us to like look back and say well clearly you know this one's with this one this one you know in in the from the you know, from uh, from our vantage point, but I mean, you've been in the middle of it. I mean, I would imagine you you catch this guy and you talk to each other, and you you really got a powwow. And it takes it takes a lot of investigation, a lot of effort, and a lot of a lot of intuition to try and put all that together in the moment when you're on when you're on the hunt. You know, I, I would imagine that's that's oh, kind of yeah. what it is, right, Gary? Oh yeah, you got like look at their body language. Uh, they've been together more than once. Are they taking any precautions when they got together? It's just a ton of different things to figure out if this was just a happenstance or they were just friends or this is business. During the 1970s, the DEA will get information that Tommaso Buscetta had, had arranged for a 50 kilo heroin shipment valued at $500,000 to go to the Eagle Cheese Shop in Brooklyn. And uh, this was part of the, the French connection. And he'll be indicted as part of that. He, he hides out. He, he's really hard to find. He'll go down to Brazil. He's a true transnational criminal. Yeah. He may be in Canada. He may be in New York. He may be in Brazil. He may be in another country. He may in South America. He may be in Spain. He may be in uh, Italy. That's this international transnational Criminals, they really get hard. To, yeah, that was to pin down. That was where these guys were so smart. It's just just to disappear anywhere, you know. And and in those days, there was a, a Bonanno Capo on the street, and the one you mentioned, and they called him. In my research, they called him an obstinate old timer named Pete Lacotta. Right. And he absolutely did not allow narcotics in his territory. Mm-hmm. Got a quote from him out of that book, "The Last Days of the Sicilians." Uh, the quote is, he say, I know want drugs in my territory. No Bamania on Knickerbocker Avenue. Now, that was uh, that was Sicilian for heroin or narcotics. I'm not sure if it was heroin or narcotics, but Babania. Babania, huh? The other Sicilians that were there uh, and uh, the other people in the Bonanno family that wanted to do drugs uh, kind of on the down low, they take care of Mr. Licata pretty quick. He, He's gone. He was an old guy. He was born in like 1908. So, I mean, he, he was, and then these are all young guys, you know, so, so they're not going to put up with some old, some old man who's telling them that we're going to make our money with gambling or whatever. When you've got $500,000 shipment of heroin coming in every week. <laughs> really? Too much money. And he's, he's murdered on November 4th, 1976. Shortly thereafter, like three or four days, Salvatore Catalano is becomes the new Knickerbocker Avenue capo. And right after that, he starts bringing these fresh faces. That's when they start bringing all the zips in from Sicily. That, that's kind of interesting to think of a, a Sicilian guy is suddenly made capo of an American family. I mean, he was he was a, it was an imported Sicilian. And, you know, he wipes out a, a, a pretty popular long term Bonan, existing Bonanno Capo, and that, that really shows the way the wind was blowing when he's made a Capo. You know, this this in this right. is you know imported Sicilian is made is actually made a Capo. It really really shows how things were changing. And it kind of looks to me like he's he builds a crew primarily of other Sicilians. Yeah. shortly thereafter on Knickerbocker Avenue, uh, there's a couple of n- new guys show up, and they are from Castellamare del Golfo. Yeah, which is where Banana was from. Right, and they take over a floating baccarat game at the Cafe Viale. They say it was worth a half a million dollars every week went through that thing. 
And, and these guys were Cesare Bonaventre and uh, Baldessare Baldo Amato, and they become Catalano's inseparable companions. And, and this trio dominated Knickerbocker Avenue mm-hmm. and dominated this one crew of the Bonanno family. After Galante gets killed for a short period of time, Salvatore Catalano will kind of take over mm-hmm. a little bit until the uh, for the whole Bonanno family. He couldn't hold it because he didn't speak English that well, but right. uh, until the uh, commission will appoint a, a new Bonanno family leader. And Amato and Amato and Cesar Bonaventure were, were the guys who were there at the hit at Joe and Mary's. They were actually there as as his bodyguards, as Galente's bodyguards. And when they came in, they, they didn't do anything. And, and the three gunmen blasted away uh, Galente. And then Bonaventure and uh, uh, Baldessari, they just, they just left. They just walked out. This is the nucleus for the pizza connection out of Brooklyn. That's where it all came out of now. Uh, Amato will end up being indicted along with Sal Catalano. Now, Cesar Bonaventre, he he met his fate in a different way. We don't really (laughs) need to go down this path. We don't know how... How this happened, and exactly, I'm not sure exactly when. We just just let it be known. They found his body. He was in divided up between three 50 gallon drums of glue in a glue factory. His head was in one, and assorted parts were in the others. That's a that's a tough way to go. I I, I guess they didn't want anybody to find his body, and somebody must have ratted that out. I didn't really investigate that. We got enough to talk about without they called going him, down that. They path. called him the horse after that. Oh, I thought that was Maddie. <laughs> Maddie the horse. <laughs> the horse at the glue factory. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this Sicilian traffickers they had worked for. A long time to get, uh, you know, they had the French connection. They lost that. It, it changed back up. They got it going again. They brought the, uh, as um, uh, Leon Flossie told us, uh, they brought the chemist from France many times and the, and the uh, labs out of Corsica and, and France, southern France into Sicily and started this stream of, of raw product from Turkey and Afghanistan in the Mideast, got it to Sicily and, and turned it into heroin and then started shipping it to the United States. It, it's kind of interesting, these Sicilians, because you, you wonder why didn't the mafia worry they were going to take over? What? Because they, they really couldn't. They didn't have any political power. They didn't have any connections. They couldn't speak the language. They couldn't, they couldn't take over. All they could do was make money with, with, with shipping the drugs. So they were, they were sort of a necessary evil, and they were allowed to operate. They were seen as, as well, you know, they, we'll, we'll let them be part of us because they're kind of our, 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 our cousins. But th- there was no chance that the Sicilians could actually take over. They, I mean, as they learned the language, they could eventually rise up through the ranks, as you see nowadays. But at the time, they were really just going to make a lot of money selling drugs, and and they didn't, they didn't, they would never have the connections that the mafia at the time in the seventy, in the sixties and seventies did have. So they were, they were really just a money making crew. You're exactly right, Cam. Especially the language problem yeah. that that just would would keep them out. But they were making money for. Uh, uh, the rest of the family and some of the other guys that that were involved in this, uh, you know, and, and in 1977, you know, we had the crack epidemic hit in the by the 90s, and cocaine kind of started later 80s, but during the 70s, that's when heroin got immensely popular. The uh, the addicts population of addicts just shot up immensely they say as as many as 750,000 at that point in time and and this one article I read said that was 20 times 
more heroin addicts that you could count. You know, you can't ever really get an exact count, but 20 times more heroin addicts than there had been before this whole Sicilian pipeline started back as far back as 1963. Jesus. Uh, you know, it just increased the supply. They're just going to they're gonna take it, you know? Yeah. One time the FBI was on a wire and they had heard that there was a the pipe from Canada was coming in and and then they noticed a stranger in close conversation with Sal Catalano at his cafe. The cafe was Scarpello. They identified this guy and they knew some heroin was coming in. They they didn't didn't really have enough to go on where it might be or anything about it. And this guy they identified him. He was Giuseppe Gensi, who was a really high ranking person and he was on the cupola, which was the Sicilian Commission. Mm-hmm. And he was he was the new overseer from Sicily in New York at that point in time, and that was when they really started sending hundreds of kilos to, uh, you know, through Brooklyn, but they were sending them all over the United States. And in 1977, they say the police really had never even heard of Catalano, and the FBI was just starting to get onto him. The uh, Italian police, you know, they knew he was a mob guy, but they'd kind of you know, forgotten about him. They didn't know where he was. They didn't know he was over here. And there really wasn't that much coordination between the uh, Sicilian and the Italian police and, and the American police or the, the FBI and, and the Italians. So uh, it's pretty easy to get yourself lost in, in that in that transnational thing back in the 70s and even the 80s. He was a street boss in that area, and, and everybody in Kansas City knew it, and the FBI knew it. I don't think they, they didn't really have anybody to Sicily to go check on. I mean that ha- that's that's kind of a unique thing, just farming out, and probably something that that, that the police didn't see, that you don't really expect is is for the mafia, especially as powerful as they are and as as sort of well known as they were around New York, to farm out something like that, especially to a bunch of guys who who are, are butchers or bakers who own pizza shops. They, they just look like just immigrants who bought up pizza shops or immigrants who were who are working as butchers or immigrants who are working as ba- these guys were just. Just, just hardworking immigrants who had started little shops, and it, but in truth, they were part of an international drug ring, and they were smuggling hundreds of kilos of heroin. And the shops were really just fronts. I mean, but but really, they just looked like regular, just the regular American story of of, of immigrants who come over from the old country and, and set up shop. So whereas you've got these mob guys in Cadillacs driving around, and and you know who they are, and they're and they're wearing the chains and the 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 sense because slacks and 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 these leather jackets and and you know those guys but but the guy running the pizza shop in the apron i mean what the hell is he gonna do it was pretty slick and and as they start watching catalano they start seeing him uh you know like uh anello della croce uh he he piled around with him he they were close to him which mm-hmm. was the gambino's underboss at the time although he was uh he was in the bonanno family but the gambinos were involved in this uh mm-hmm. whole sicilian deal bringing drugs in they had their own little crew of uh of gambinos uh third cousins that were living down in uh what down in cherry hill new jersey what you remember the story on them the uh they were cousins uh the the cherry hill gambinos in cherry hill new jersey they were cousins of carlo gambino rosario gambino and and later on johnny gambino and they 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 partnered with uh salvatore and zarillo in sicily and they imported a lot of a lot of heroin and then later when Gotti took over the gambinos johnny gambino really 
really was delivering a lot of heroin, and uh, Sammy the Bull helped bring him down quite a bit. But that later on, even today, you see the Sicilian faction eventually moved up as they learned the language and did take over the Gotti family. I did find this article about a guy who talked about delivering the heroin. He made 15 trips back and forth delivering just pounds and pounds of heroin from Knickerbocker Avenue to 18th Street, which was the Gambino territory. So so there was actual organized deliveries. A guy would, would take a pistol and go back and forth from Knickerbocker Avenue to 18th Street, where the Gambinos were, and they would just just like making regular deliveries, just just throw it, just load up the van, deliver the heroin, and and head on back. So it was very, it was very organized, very, very industrial the way it was set up. Interesting. Now, how this kind of really, how this came to light for the FBI is interesting. Uh, you, you've heard of the FBI agent Joe Pistone, right, Cam? Yes, sir. Donnie Brasco. He, Donnie Brasco. He was uh, undercover and as a jewel thief. Probably everybody's probably seen that movie and Lefty Rosario takes him under his wing. And at one point in time, as, as part of his schooling, Rosario points out a couple of men that he identifies as Salvatore Catalano and Cesare Bonaventre and says they are the new Sicilian Mafia members. And, and they, we call them Zips. He was just schooling the guy like, <laughs> you know, like your your mentor at work would do when you're, you're brand new at work. He said they work directly for the upper echelon of the Bonanno family and directly for Carmine Glenta. And, of course, we know that they were, uh, Bonaventre was one of the guards, uh, one of the bodyguards for Glenta, and uh, they were both involved in getting and murdering him. And it took a while for this to get to the right people in the FBI because, you know, he was so mm-hmm. deep undercover. He wasn't, like, meeting with a, a control agent right. all the time. He was making notes and writing stuff down, but it, it might have been two or three weeks or even a month before he got yeah. this to them. And, and they were kind of starting to work on these uh, Sicilians at the time. But but Rosario said that these two guys were in control of all drug trafficking done kind of undercover by the Bonanno family because there was still a ban on drug activity, which means that, you know, no, we can't do it, yeah. but these Leave guys it are them. doing it. In 1977 is when they... They really started seeing this, and, and when they started getting onto it, and Carmine Galente is killed in 79. After his death, Sal Catalano was the uh, kind of the boss for a little bit and then went right back to the, being the formal captain, as we said before. We're kind of getting back into a more of a, uh, a kind of got out of the chronological order. There's so much going on at this time. It's, it's easy to really. do. Before they really knew about Stone's intelligence that, that he just he had gathered uh, a Sicilian-born agent named Carmine Russo and, and another uh, we call it Peckerwoods here you know and another uh, uh, American uh, <laughs> you know when, back in the forties and fifties and thirties why uh, the Italians called all of us Americans uh, a Peckerwood agent named Charles Rooney and they'd been assigned to investigate an anonymous letter. You know, it's funny how these investigations all come together. You have all these, again, as I said, all these disparate parts. Yeah. But eventually somebody puts this together in a picture. Now, the writer of that letter said that there was an Italian restaurant on Knickerbocker Avenue just down the street from John Mary's, and he had been threatened by a loan shark recently for failure to repay a debt. And and the letter writer said it was uh, Cesare Bonaventre and another guy, a Sicilian named Filippo Ragusa, and he, they had offered the debtor a way to repay his creditor. 
And all that debtor has to do was go to Italy and bring back a package. And the guy refused, and, and he, they killed him shortly after for his uh, efforts. And, and whoever this uh, letter writer was, it was probably a, uh, a relative or a really close contact. I'd say a relative. Yeah. Uh, they never did come forth and so tell him any more. But the supervisor over the one squad, well, I don't know if they called it the one squad. They're the organized crime squad assigned Rooney and Carmine Russo to focus on this Salvatore Catalano and uh, Cesare Bonaventre because they knew by then that that these two guys were together and they were Sicilian. And they didn't know it at the time, but this case would become their career case, and especially Carmine Russo, who was from Sicily and a native Sicilian speaker. And I, we talked a lot about him with um, with um, the FBI agent Leon Flossi, so uh, you know a little bit about him by now, folks. Of course, what do you do then? You, you, you start laying search surveillances down on them. First thing you can do is... You do that, you go out and see where they are, uh, what kind of, where they go, what kind of places they frequent, who they meet with regularly. Is there some kind of pay phones that they like to use a lot or some kind of, kind of secret phones they like to use? What kind of cars they have? You know, where did they eat and drink and who they socialize with when they went out? And this all takes, you know, weeks to, yeah. to get all this down until you get a pattern down. And at one point in time, they, they saw them in a car registered to a particular company called the 4205 Supermarket, and it was owned by another Zip, another Sicilian named Pasquale Conte, who was a Gambino associate. So once more, you know, you're, they keep putting these little disparate parts together. They identified another Sicilian they met with, and his name was Pino Gansi, who was, uh, they learned was a partner with Catalano in his pizza business. They learned that, uh, that Gansi had been seen meeting with a man that uh, Giuseppe Bono, who was a notorious Sicilian mafia boss over here from Sicily and well-known in transnational circles to be involved in the international heroin trade. So you kind of see, Cam, you see how they this one put, start with putting that this one together slowly this one but surely. driving that one's car and, and this this company owned by this. Yeah, it's 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 taking all these little parts and following this one. And, and it's easy to, to, to hear the hear the summary or see it written in a paragraph or, or whatever. But and you're talking this is this is six months of of. You know how many guys who are doing this research and putting it all together and 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 tracing it down and how many how many long nights and, and hours of of hunting and sitting in the car and watching with binoculars and 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 not sleeping and coffee and 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 candy bars and how many other you know watching and waiting and being bored and being bored and watching and waiting and being bored. They, they even saw this. Uh, Bono guy carrying uh, briefcases in and out of hotels that he wasn't staying at. So, you know, you, you start getting your, um, it was Bonaventre, uh, I said Bono, I meant Bonaventre, guy carrying suitcases in and out of uh, hotels that he wasn't staying at. And then, you know, he starts getting your, your suspicions get up. What the hell's he doing? Maybe he's stealing but They didn't towels. know at the time. Yeah, really. They didn't know this was the start of the Pizza Connection case, as I said, their career case. French Connection Pipeline had dried up and and they were using they were uh, Giuseppe Bono as a new source of of supply. The informant asked the agents, "Have you ever heard of the Trans Alaska Pipeline?" And when the agent said, "Yeah," he said, "Well, we got the same thing coming in the United States, only it was heroin." So they're on to it, man. Yeah. As they 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 start identifying these different narcotics connections, putting a book on them, as they say, and during this time. Uh, Carmine Russo, the agent, and this guy was dogging, man. He he really got into it more than, than the other from what I read. But uh, he ends up actually getting 
transferred. Leon Flossi brings Carmine Russo over eventually to be in charge of all mafia activities for the FBI that are happening down in Sicily. He, he was, wow. that was his, like he had the Sicilian desk for the uh, legal attache's office. Wow. Carmine, uh, in his study of this, I mean, I, I really admire this guy. He he got the book that Joe Bonanno had written, Honor Thy Father. Actually, that what was it, Gates right. Lease wrote uh, called Honor Thy Father. Yeah. Uh, find wrote, out. Yeah. He starts finding out like Joe Bonanno's father-in-law w- was a Bonaventre. So see, one more one more clue to put this together. And he knows, he, he sees that bon- the Bonanos and Carmine Galente and, and now this Bonaventre, and they're all from Castellani del Golfo, which, by the way, means Fortress of the Sea. I had to look that up. What does that yeah. mean? I, I'd like to go to Sicily sometime and, and see all that. They say it's beautiful over there along the coastline. I don't know, after, after all the damage you've done, I don't know if they'd be too welcoming. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is uh, uh, the needle and the damage done <laughs> by, uh, I can't even think of his name now, but anyhow, move it along. This investigation will turn up many, many more connections back to Castellamere del Golfo and, and that immediate vicinity. Agents continue watching, recording license numbers, got up, done that, taking pictures, watching Catalano, and they noticed that he used a nearby payphone. One time, they after he made two quick phone calls at the payphone, he left and he met Paul Castellano. That's going to send up some send up some flags. <laughs> Castellano is the boss of the Gambino family at this point in time. You know, I, I know later that he was taking making money yeah. on the side off of drugs, and that's one reason that that Gotti kind of had a little extra license to to kill yeah, him. He was taking the uh, everybody taking drug money when he that. was he had a prohibition on anybody else making it, and by that time it was a bit more free. You know, by the, by the time the 80s rolled around. Uh, during this surveillance, they follow Catalano, and he meets with another Sicilian pizza place owner named Frank Castronovo. You know, record that and put it in a file. During this time, I mean, this thing just got crazy during these early years. There was a white-collar crime agent in New Rochelle, in the resident agency up there, and he got a call from one of his contacts in the financial industry, and this guy has information about a Sicilian that wanted to move $60 million to Switzerland. <laughs> $60 million? Jesus. Uh, Frank Costanotroso had an apartment to talk this uh, transfer in the financial district. He called New York City, and they sent out a surveillance crew. They watched a man carry a heavy black bag. I mean, uh, $200,000 in cash in this black bag. Uh, surveillance crew watched him walk in and out of the building carrying boxes inside. So they're watching them exchange boxes of cash full of, of how many millions of dollars was it? Sixty million dollars. They're just carrying it out of a bag, transferring it to all together. <laughs> transferring it to Switzerland. And the agents are walking them in watch watching them walk in and in and out of this building with black bags and cardboard boxes to deliver to a building in the financial district. That's how they're transferring money to Switzerland in big black bags and cardboard boxes. They find him when they get a tag number and address and where he meets a couple other men and they're both Sicilian. So, you know, they're, they're getting into it. And that was back before the, the cocaine days when uh, the FBI and the IRS and everybody really got onto that money laundering thing. They weren't onto money laundering back then. Heck, during yeah. the, the, the uh, straw man trials and all that, I've been asked, well, well what did they do with all that money? You know, we don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody looked at the financial end of that. That was just not done that much back then. 
that only really started until the, all the South Americans started bringing all that cocaine up because they they, learned, they found out about it down in Florida and, and they really got onto it. Uh, and and after that, you know, they passed all kinds of laws on money laundering. Any yeah. cash transaction over ten thousand dollars had to be reported. Because your guys, all you know, all the guys who were involved in the in the skim basically owned so many businesses that were cash based. I know that Iapa and all those guys and and Lombardo had so much real estate in a lot of his families and and Iapa and Cerrone, those guys. And I know the Savellas owned a lot of businesses all around the city. I mean, they they pretty much had ways of, of, of skimming away a chip at a time, right? Yeah, you just have to. And and again, that was before the CTR. So uh, a guy like Nick Savella, he'd have a, a, a stockbroker. He could take, you know, $20,000 right. to and, and buy stock and and or maybe go buy, go buy another um, uh, corner building like he owned a whole corner up there, Vivian and Antioch with about, I don't know, must have been eight different businesses in one building. Then um Another business in off, you know, across the parking lot, and and it was a whole big corner in prime real estate. He owned that whole thing. Uh, mainly, he just rented them out to other people. So then, you know, he got that free and clear from the cash money that you brought out, and and then you you know then you got this steady stream of legitimate money coming in yeah. all the time from the rents. So this agent Paquette, he starts doing this surveillance and he recording tag numbers and stuff, and and he puts Cosa Nostro. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Salvatore Catalano. So here we go. Well, you know, one more, one more link. Other people are putting together little bits of disparate information. Uh, there was uh, a anonymous letter about how a man could pay off a debt by running a package from Sicily. Uh, there was another one of those, so uh, I mean, it was it was all Sicily, it was all Sicilians, and it was all about drugs, and it was all about transporting narcotics. But it was just, you know, you know it. I know how this goes. You know it, but you don't know right. it. Right. You just have to keep working and working and working. These guys rented an apartment under a subterfuge down there by Catalano's Bakery and put a camera on the payphone. And there's some of these. Uh, videos out there on youtube i think if you did uh, catalano uh payphone on youtube you probably can find these videos uh, yeah. i've seen the little clips real grainy videos of him walking back and forth yeah right right in, in black and white yeah kind of middle-aged uh guys mainly wearing suits and stuff yeah. they were not they were not tracksuit no. kind of guys no not back then of course i got a pen register on there and pen registers lighting up with all kinds of calls Particularly, what was interesting, uh, one day, May the 5th. 81. Yeah, that was the, the three capos. I bet that thing blew up. That's what it did. 
Uh, Dominic Trinchera, uh, Sonny Red Indelicato, and uh, Philip Lucky Giacone. Uh, when they, uh, that was part of that whole whole power struggle when Joe Messino and uh, Sonny Black Napolitano took over, and and wiped out the last the last uh, uh, power struggle, basically giving Rustelli full control, which uh, basically gave Messino control because he was he was running things while 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 uh, Rustelli was behind bars. Yeah, they were kind of cleaning, right. cleaning house, cleaning up uh, unfinished business is That's what right. they were doing because those guys wanted to take it over, so they just struck first. That's is that the one where uh, Vito yes. Rizzuto came down from Montreal yes. and helped with that? It you was got some Sicilians it? coming in there too. But the FBI, they see this phone light up right after these guys get killed. And that says, you know what mm. that tells you, doesn't it? They're more that's important right. than what that's, you might think. That's interesting. Are, you know, otherwise, what you you wouldn't call them. You know, uh, they wouldn't care that much. They're they're down in the totem pole, but when you're on high up on the totem pole, why? Just like at work, you know, you got to notify right. the important people about something important. Uh, the people that aren't so important, you don't notify them. They figure it out through the grapevine eventually. It's it's just inc- it's just incredible the amount of activity that's going on. You've got this 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 the Sicilians with the with the heroin shipment, and then you've got this political stuff going on over here with 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 the three capos going on. This is all in one family, and then they're still partnering up with Montreal, getting these. Fa- I mean, I mean it's, there's so many moving parts, and and this is this is one basically one family, and there's and there's four others in New York, and then there's Chicago and Kansas City were just a few years earlier involved with the skim. I mean, this is what this is what you all, Gary, were dealing with in in the in the seventies as far as as far as chasing chasing these guys around. I mean they were really keeping y'all busy back then. Oh yeah. We had what four families involved in, in the one thing plus what yeah. was going on in Las Vegas. So uh <clears throat> you know you have to admire that Bill Owsley who had to keep track of all this and, and Leon Flossie was was an integral part of that. I always kind of give Owsley more credit because we remained friends and he was the case agent on it. But uh, anyhow that was uh yeah there was just a lot going on. Now, at this point in time, we had actually Frank Story was a new special agent in charge in New York, and he started looking at this investigation. He was he was in Kansas City, I believe, just before this. No, just after this. He he worked on this for a while, and then he came to Kansas City. Uh, I had met him. He's he, he's a real dynamic guy, and he looked at Russo and and uh, the other guys' work, and and this agent Paquette with the money laundering. Paquette was still monitoring money transfers. I read that Agent Story was a tough-as-nails, no-nonsense agent, and he was. <laughs> I remember that. He was. He was like a legend when he was in Kansas City, and he was well-known to be a hard-ass. He called all these agents together and said, okay, you guys all got to get together on mm-hmm. this. He saw the importance of it and said, somebody's got to work on Title Threes because what he said was, and I could hear him saying this, you can watch these guys forever and never make a case. And I remember that feeling. You know, you can watch somebody forever be and never really make a case on them. You got to get on that phone. He, he, he came down on them hard, according to that last of the Sicilians book I read. He even accused them of not having enough skill to write up a good Title III affidavit, which it does take a lot of work to write up a Title III affidavit, and probably maybe none of them had ever done it. They were kind of new. They really only started it in, uh, say, 1970, right. so there's a lot of agents. And, you know, today there's a lot of agents that never written one up, and, and at that point in time, they're there's a lot of agents that that uh, hadn't for even more agents that, that hadn't there. I was just saying, yeah, probably even more back then, as new as it was. Kind of an interesting thing about the the money laundering during this time. Uh, this agent Paquette, 
had determined that a guy named Del Torre, he learned about him through some of their surveillances, was trying to send millions in small bills through an E.F. Utton office to Switzerland. I guess he just kept hitting these different places trying to get somebody to help him out with that. And, you know, these guys, these, these stockbrokers, yeah. there are a lot of hustlers that are stockbrokers. And if they, th- they think there's enough money yeah, in their especially pocket, in New York they may back take then. risk. My father was working the, the market in New York back, back around this time in the 70s. He said it was wide open. And one of the people at E.F. Hutton also tipped off this Del Torre dude. And he all of a sudden closed his accounts and just disappeared. In the wind. Now, they went back and jumped on E.F. Hutton, and turned out it was it was like a, you know, the whole company said, yeah, I said, yeah, we're worried for the safety of our employees, so we just wanted to get rid of the guy. So that's why they tipped him off, because they just wanted him going? Yeah. And this paquette, he was he was a bulldog, though, man. He didn't let that go. We started trying to locate the guy. He, he, he subpoenaed the guy's American Express account after he found <laughs> out he had an American Express credit card, and, and he identified a bunch of hotels that he was stayed at, and he got Damn. phone records, records off those hotels, and 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 that started connecting him to different pizza shop owners in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and, and one of them was Salvatore Catalano in Queens. Another connection. So here's another, you know, here's another guy in the uh, the money laundering chain, all going back to Catalano and 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 going back to pizza shop places. So you know, slowly but surely, it's coming together. The way as creative as y'all had to be on these investigations, I mean, I mean, like you said, you, you've got to check this phone record or you've got to look which company owns this car they're using. It's just an incredible degree of creativity you've got to assemble. I mean, you're, you're really you're, you're really cracking your brain. It, it, it's just it, I mean, it's it, it, there's something artistic about it. I think that the, the way you all the way you all would get into these investigations. I mean, that's that's yeah, that's the way uh, I see it. It's, it's almost it's not artistic. like a practice. It's more like an art that that there's there's a certain amount of, of intuitive. You know, yeah, a good artist yeah. will will have inspiration and put something together and do it well. A, a good policeman working these kinds of big cases is like an artist in that way. He'll look at all these disparate parts and and he'll see start seeing how they fit together and, and painted a picture of, of what they are and what's going on. Cause you just, you know, you don't, you kind of know, but, uh, so you got to paint this picture that you can't really prove in a court. And maybe you can't even convince your boss. Sometimes what you think's going on is going on. You can't convince your fellow agents or fellow cops. What you think's going on is going on. And a lot of doubters out there, because they don't want to work mainly, but be a lot of doubters out there that'll try to bring you down when you come up with something that, uh, uh, some kind of a conspiracy. I just, you know, when I, just whenever I talk to you and you, you, you talk about things you hunted down or, or leads that y'all, leads that y'all followed or, or the different agents, I mean, just the creativity involved in, in that process is what, what really gets me is, 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 you know, track down the owner of the company of the car that they were driving or, or the, his FBI records and then going to the different hotels from, from months ago and in his phone records. I mean, that's, you might say it sounds obvious now that we're saying it, but, but in the heat of the moment, months after a guy stayed at a hotel to go back and look at his phone records, I mean, ain't it based on his American Express receipts, which you were able to subpoena? There's, there's a lot of steps to that, that, that a lot of people probably wouldn't think to, think to, and this time, we're up to about of. the 1980s now, and we'll go back to see what our friend Gaetano Balamente, and he's he's down in South America at this point in time. He's he's kind of on the lam. Uh, they had this um, big mob war, and, and, yeah. and uh, he, he Mafia war. Anna won, and Balamente's down in South America, and he's orchestrating all this dope coming back and forth, and Tom, Tommaso Buscetta is, is helping with that. 
he tries to get Busetta to go after these other Sicilian bosses from Corleone. Those, those are the ones, if you remember, uh, when we talked about Busetta, those are the ones that were trying to get Balamente and and uh, keep all his family down, the, you know, pushed down and, and out of the business. Uh, Busetta refused. Balamente sent some others and killed several men. And it was during this time that, that Salvatore Reina probably was responsible for killing some of Buscetta's relatives, and, and including his two sons, they they went missing. They were, uh, mm-hmm. and I think I mentioned this before. They were the victims of a Lupara Blanca or white shotgun, which meant their bodies were never found. But he found out they tortured them. Which this is, as you, if you remember, this is what really kind of sent him over the edge, and and he ended up coming in and uh, turned himself yeah. in. And his and, sons, uh, yeah. He, uh, Giuseppe Falcone interviewed him and, and learned a lot of information. He ended up testifying at the at the huge big trial that we've talked about before, and, and uh, Leon Flossi talked about it. I asked him if he went made it down to see that trial, but he, he couldn't make it down to see it. It's kind of it, 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 a guy like Badalamenti who's who's at the top at the height of his power. It just shows how the higher you get, the more responsibility you have. He's watching his drug operations in America, and he's also got to make he's he's got to. You know, we think about these mob guys as nothing but leisure, but he's watching his drug. He's he's overseeing drug operations in in America. He's related to a lot of the guys who own these shops. He's monitoring. There's a drug war going on in Sicily, and he's still got relatives there. And he's he's part of the war, even though he himself is 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 fleeing. And he has to he has to you know keep himself alive. But he also has to. He's on the run from the police while in South America, so he has to sort of keep a low profile. It's just he has a lot of irons in the fire and. And I'm sure there's time for leisure in there, but it just it, it's kind of like a CEO of a company. You've got a lot of well, that that wear anybody out, wouldn't it? All that <laughs> no collecting checks in the mafia, <laughs> <laughs> Collect, collecting cash, yeah, picking up, picking up, picking up, really? picking up envelopes all day. I mean, it's a little bit more to it. So during this time, Carmine Russo is sent over to Sicily to try to develop some connect- connections with the. Uh, Italian police over there and he you know they're they're standoffish at first and as we find out that eventually Lee Flossie's over there is the uh legat or the legal attache and and he starts developing connections with the local police and with uh Judge uh Falcone and the only thing he does learn that this Giuseppe Bono that they have been under investigation is involved in heroin smuggling so the FBI, and, and go back to that one with Lee Flossie, uh, they stayed after him, and, and they ended up forming a relationship. They invited a bunch of them over, including Falcone, over to the United States, and relations improved, and pretty soon they're, they're working together, really formed a task force in which they shared a lot of information. And, and our, our, our guy, mm-hmm. Flossie, was right in the middle of that, uh, facilitating all that. Going back to uh, the United States, Russo and Rooney are still watching. The, there's a pizza restaurant called the Al Dente Pizza Restaurant, and they see this Giuseppe Gansi, who was one using the payphone with Salvatore Catalano, and they had a wire up on those. And, and what they're hearing now after the pen registers, they're hearing coded conversations like onion sprouting. And they're about ready to ship, and, and somebody's ordering five shirts. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that that is all typical drug code. 
and anybody in the drug business. Yeah. And you can put that in a, another affidavit for another wiretap if you, you know, spin off to another phone and say, this is, you know, my opinion, my expert opinion, that is drug talk. They're talking about some kind of narcotics oh, transactions. You don't have to, you don't have to have the specific, right. spe- you don't have somebody change the specific code. You can just say, this is yeah. code. They went into high gear and they must have really transferred a lot of agents in. Matter of fact, they did transfer a lot of agents, agents in. It was a round the clock wiretap. Had physical surveillance. Wow. Anytime you had somebody up on the wire, you had physical surveillance. This went on for the next 18 months. They, said, they were speaking in Sicilian. Right, and speaking in Sicilian. That's another thing that Lee Flossie talked about. He would uh, he would bring some uh, Italian, Sicilian-speaking officers over to help sit on wiretaps during this investigation. Uh, <laughs> Carmine Russo was a native speaker, but if you're a Italian speaker, you can't understand Sicilian. You could probably pick up some things, but not good enough for a wiretap. The uh, the book said that uh, there was over 100,000 conversations recorded during this time. Can you imagine? They had those tapes. There would be stacks and stacks and stacks of those. Now we've got got data. And it, it, you know, you just put it on a thumb drive, but but then y'all were dealing, y'all yeah, were dealing with no. with big right. reels of tape. You know, I mean, it, it was just Jesus. I have seen it, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's got to be reviewed and put before a court. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Russo will do the lion's share of this work. He probably hardly ever slept, man. Especially since he was a native speaker, because somebody will get something. And does this sounds like something you listen to? It. Wake wake his ass up right away. This is this is when. Uh, uh, Baldo Amato shows up quite a little bit. He was one of the other Galente bodyguards and Catalano's, Catalano's partner during that time, and they connect him to another pizza shop. So now they got more pizza shops and more pizza Jesus. shops. They got this Giuseppe Gansi uh, in and out, and they know he's a Sicilian heroin smuggler. They start following him. They even find his girlfriend, his Camare, gal named Carol. And it's kind of an interesting side story. One time... Gansey and his wife and Sal Catalano and his wife went on a trip to Florida. Well, Gansey, now believe this or not, he brought Carol, his girlfriend, down to Florida and put her in another hotel room. I guess he couldn't be without her for a period of time. He'd slip away and go see her. <laughs> yeah, that good stuff. <laughs> brought her with him. Well, huh? somehow, I don't know, I don't quite understand this, and, uh, but somehow her suitcase got mixed up with Catalano's wife's oh, suitcase, shit. and she opened it, and she knew it wasn't hers, uh, and she knew it was his girlfriend. You know, most of those mob wives, they know the husband has the Camare on the side. They, they know that, and they mm-hmm. just, but they don't like to have it slapped in their face for sure. Uh, they said she didn't really create any problems about it, but she let him know that he, she knew what was going on. And and then kind of another side story, when they eventually serve search warrants, the Bureau will serve a search warrant on her place, on Carol's place, and and she kept a diary. And each time that they put together, when he went to her house, her apartment, on that date, she would make one entry on that date, sex. (laughs) (laughs) I knew a guy who was in the hospital for a, a condition, and his wife goes to visit him, and while she's in there, his girlfriend shows up to see him day. <laughs> he walked out of the hospital oh, yeah. to meet a di- divorce attorney. <laughs> By 1983, you know, they're getting, they're putting it together. 
But, you know, they got to find dope. You got to get dope on the table somewhere. Nobody's seen any yeah. dope yet. They haven't figured out a way to, like, serve a search warrant and, and snag any that they can link to these. They get a, they, there's a call that comes in from a guy named Zito, Benny Zito. Gancy and Zito had some coded drug talk, and they agree to meet and finalize some kind of a deal. He sounds like a drug guy, doesn't and, he? Yeah, really. <laughs> and shortly after, a uh, day or two after, there was a, Late model of Volkswagen appeared with Pennsylvania plates and, and connected up with Gansey. And about the same time down in Philadelphia, there's a DEA agent named Hobson who has a, an informant that's connected to a local pizza shop, and he's selling heroin. And, and there's another DEA agent working on another Sicilian at another pizza place, and he's making inroads on being accepted, and, and they're selling heroin out of this other pizza place down in Philadelphia, and they're all Sicilian. Yeah, it's just it's just too many too many lining up, you know. But at this time, I wonder if the if the DEA would have been talking to the FBI that much, you know. Not yet, not right, not then, and and they usually didn't. Back then, especially, they they didn't have a whole lot to do with each other. They would work together if something, something came together. Big, yeah, but like, other than that, yeah, there was not any like regular interaction. Hey, we got this going, and FBI said, hey, we got this going, and see if like they do today and all these. Yeah, I guess nine nine eleven is what really pulled all that together, you know? Because it's, yeah, it's well, yeah, yeah. We we had a, a good relationship with them, but between the federal agencies, the intelligence unit in Kansas City was like the the hub. Between all the federal agencies, they they didn't really talk to each other very much, but they talked to us. And so if we would hear, especially our sergeant, Larry Wisher, if he would hear something from one agent who would come in and drop something on him or ask us to check on something. And then the FBI, he might they might come in, he might ask them, hey, you ever heard of this guy? Or maybe they'd come in and ask about something that was close <laughs> and, and he'd start he'd put them together. That that happened more than once. If- but down in Philadelphia, this this agent Hobson and and he gets a female agent to go along with him, which was pretty common. Mm. They get introduced into this Benny Zito, who has been seen with Gansey a lot. They convince Zito to sell him a half a kilo for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, half a kilo of heroin. And during that time, while they're with him, this Zito jumps on a phone, has some coded drug talk to somebody in New York. Well, the FBI is up here listening to Gansey on the other end <laughs> on that conversation. On a DEA drug buy. Uh, another Philly DEA uh, said that a Sicilian he knew was complaining that he was dealing with Sal Catalano and Baldo Amato, and the last shipment, the, the purity was not near what it should be. So here now they're putting them together <laughs> with real dope down in philadelphia and they're getting ready to buy some they called them siggies that's what uh that's what uh you know uh leonardo and uh, philip leonardo and uh scarpo they they in his book he calls italian siggies oh really yeah huh. interesting another dea agent down there and as a, another informant that learns about amato catalano and 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 he's he's picking up rumors that these are the men that set up the hit on carmine galente and and the Joe the new boss Joe Messino rewarded them with all the heroin business in the United States. So again, you just get all these de- different little tidbits are coming in and coming in. Mm-hmm. Now the New York FBI and the Philly DEA didn't know what each other knew. <laughs> Shit. But luckily, the Philly DEA started checking the New York names through the FBI intelligence files, and they get directed to call Russo and Rooney, uh, Carmine Russo and, and Agent Rooney. And, and let them know and like, uh oh, so phone they, call. you know, they tell them what the deal is. 
they go ahead and, and front the money and they make a half a kilo buy and then a kilo buy from this Benny Zito. So now they've got they've got a buy. They've got dope. They've got actual dope. The New York FBI watched Zito come to Gansey's home and pick something up and then take it back. Same thing on the second buy. Uh, they watched him do the same thing. It was a whole kilo. What was interesting, they uh, uh, they wrapped the money, the $240,000 that they gave to Zito to buy the kilo, they put it in a gift wrap box so it would be real evident. So they see Zito going to Gansey's house with this same <laughs> gift wrap box. Now, that was slick. Yeah. That was smart, yeah. man. Yeah. Then, then you know. That, if you want to see that, folks, in that uh, the last of the Sicilians book by Ralph Blumenthal's got that picture. That picture of the box. Box. No shit. And then the plain brown box on his when he's coming out, and that's going to be the heroin. <laughs> and the heroin, the, the heroin they buy is eighty three percent pure, which means better than that shit know, they're getting in, in, in Philly. That, that's, oh man, that shit's <laughs> coming right from uh, Afghanistan, practically. <laughs> man, that's uh, that's some pretty pure heroin stuff. You can really step on that a bunch, mm-hmm. you can make a lot of money off of that. But they can't keep buying that, and they don't want to take the FBI doesn't want them taken down yet, so they just have to sit on it. They got the heroin, they got the cases made. Now they just have to back off because because they can't keep going in with two hundred forty thousand dollars and buying kilos of heroin. <laughs> I worked with a DEA agent once, and we we're making a little. Uh, guy was claiming to be a mob guy, and we never heard of him before. He turned out he was in witness protection from another city, but uh, he was no making shit. little mark marijuana buys from him and. And we wanted to, DEA needed to have a big enough buys to and really, you know, do something with him. They couldn't do it with three or four little buys. And, and I remember this DEA agent, agent said, well, we'll make a hair, uh, we'll make a marijuana dealer out of him. <laughs> so that means they, they just keep buying and buying and buying until they got enough weight to, <laughs> that their boss will let them open a case and, and go after him. <laughs> oh, shit. That's a dirty pool. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of weird things happen during this time. You know, like they put a microphone in Gancy's car, and I've seen shit like this happen. Gets wired in the system and draws down on the battery, even when the mic's off, and that keeps running the battery down. <laughs> and the battery keeps running down, so they take it in to get it worked on, and and then they have to go. Uh, what actually what they did? I, I, we had a deal. I'll tell you about it. We had a deal just like this in Kansas City. Gancy goes to his his Gomari's Carol's house for sex. You know, which is why be one of those dates that they say puts it in her sex. calendar. Sex. So they, yeah, they just steal the car and take it to the garage to take out the listening device. But he comes out early. <laughs> so he calls they the police to report a stolen car. So they just have to dump it. <laughs> they, they gave him more credit than he deserved. Well, now we're up to about 1984. They're putting all of this together, as, as you can tell, Cam. Uh, tons of information. Uh, they got dope on the table. They've got all the different people identified. They've got all these wiretaps. But they want this Gaetano Badalamente, yeah. who is kind of the the overall boss. And they can't find him. He's, he's one of these transnational criminals that no telling where he's going to be. Those are uh, really difficult to people to find. Yeah, always on the move. He's not coming to the United States at all. He's already got a warrant, I believe, in the United States. We've got these telephone intercepts on some of these different pizza places, and there's one, uh, Pietro Pete Alfano, in Oregon, Illinois. Like I said, there was Rockford, Oregon, and Paris, Illinois. There was uh, all three of them were run by Sicilians. Way west of uh, way west of Chicago. It's a, it's a good uh, it's a good click west, and then uh, Paris is is a good deal south. So they're they're avoiding the city by a decent clip. 
Yeah, you know, we checked on yeah. that with Calabrese, Frank Calabrese Jr. and Red were mad and, and uh, uh, Lee Flossie kind of said the same thing, that, you know, the outfit, they have a real strong rules against dealing drugs, and they just didn't want anything to do with it, and probably they didn't even know what was going on because they stayed far yeah. enough out of town that they didn't even know what was going on. Uh, I think you mentioned that uh, Frank Ballesteri, and that uh, family up in Milwaukee may have been connected into them in some way and, and shipping drugs down to primarily the black community in south side yeah. of Chicago. And, you know, they would have been getting a lot of lot of drugs from the uh, either through Canada or at least through the Bonanos because the, they were so tight. The Milwaukee was so tight with the Bonanos through the, 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 the cheese company. They, they may not have even been connected to uh, uh, these Sicilians. They may have had another right. source out of out of Montreal. Right, like right. But they they want to take it down, but they want Bailamente. And I, I remember those these times when you want to get that one guy, and because he'll just go to ground, and you'll never ever ever find him if if he realizes that the heat's really on. So they've got these wiretaps up. And they've been shipping this. Uh, matter of fact, I don't think I mentioned this, and and Lee Flossie told me, and I've had a couple others tell me that uh, they've been shipping this heroin hidden in these pizza supplies, whether it be the dough or right, the, the uh, tomatoes and, of tomato yeah. sauce. And they also were were sending over uh, pallets of Italian marble and those hollowing, hollowing out the middle and putting the heroin down in the, the pallets of Italian, Italian marble and sending that out. Uh, so, uh, but mainly it was the pizza places and they were the places that you know, got the money back in. The dealers would come and 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 the the kind of the intermediate level dealers would come and get the large amounts and they'd go out to their sub dealers and their street dealers and keep them supplied out of these pizza places so they're on this wiretap with Balamente's nephew Pietro Pete Alfano and get a telephone call from Brazil and they're listening to it, and they've got one of their probably got one of their Sicilian cops that were sent over by Flossie to to get to monitor this and and to interpret it real quick. And they realize that this is probably Gaetano Balamente talking to him, and he's ordering him to meet him in Madrid, Spain, yeah. in, in just a few days later. Uh, so they immediately get hold of the Italian police and the, and the Spanish police and. They catch Balamente and, and his son, Vito Balamente, with Pietro Alfano and, and bring them back to the United States. So that's when they served search warrants on everybody and, and started, you know, taking grand jury and, uh, and it's just, witnesses just massive. that they've got that they've turned. And, and by this point in time, Tommaso Bruschetta has turned, and, and he's a storyteller on the deal. And it, it becomes this massive trial that takes over a year. Rudy Giuliani was the uh, U.S. attorney yeah. that— was in charge of that. He he wasn't on a day to day. I think he was the he was U.S. attorney for the Southern District. Yeah, Other, yeah. Uh, U.S. attorneys were actually in the day to day business, but uh, it was it was a hell of a trial, man. I found a, I found a guy Luigi Ronisvalli, and I you know we I mentioned a little bit earlier, and I I told you I I literally just found him. He was he was just a, a, a one of the regular zips, the day to day who delivered heroin around, but he sort of describes the day to day life. And before the this is before the trial, he was starting to to to. I don't know that he gave them anything of substance because he wasn't at a high enough level that he could talk about Badalamenti or I think he knew Catalano 
but he would talk about the day-to-day life. You know, he'd say little things like, you know, we didn't, we cut the pellets out of the, the shotguns and we replaced them with nail heads. And he talked about contract killings and things like that. They had a street level understanding of what a daily what the Zips were doing on the streets. He had a, a, I don't even think he had a pizza shop. I think he worked for a guy, but that's that's just another informant at a much lower level. And then they had Buschetta at a higher level who knew all the names. So they really had built a hell of a case. And then they finally had this buy. The extent to which they had built this case was was incredible. And then they, they were reaching out. They had the Italians involved and then they used the Spanish to arrest this guy. It's it's such a such a huge endeavor. That, that, that took place multi-states and, and multi-countries. I just... I, <laughs> this is just such a, such a massive thing these guys were working on. You have to wonder, was there panic in Needle, Needle Park when all this went down? <laughs> did, it, did it drive up at all? I swear to God, Cam, I worked cocaine during the, the day, and, and it didn't seem to ever make any difference. I don't care how big a... a, a shipment was intercepted, there was still more than enough. And, and it just... Got cheaper all the time because it was just flooding in. This would have been 84, 85. That's about the time that, you know, the Gulf cartel would have been bringing heroin up with Garcia Abrego. You know, they, they were bringing heroin yeah. up. So, so that's, they just filled in the vacuum. So, and that was in around 80, 84, 85, 86. So they just, you know, you just, you're not getting it from up north. You just, well, they just backfill from down south. Yeah, because I mean that's they were already getting uh, cocaine. The the Sicilians were already getting cocaine and uh, from down south. They had set up a, a pipeline of cocaine from uh, Balamente's the connections mm-hmm. that he's made down there in Bruschetta too. Uh, I believe down in Venezuela. So that's uh, you know it's just uh, never in its whack a mole right. in that narcotics business. There's just there there is no end to it. I I don't know. Uh, I don't need to go down that path on <laughs> the whether the laws do any good or should just put all that money into uh, uh, treatment. Treatment, and, and legalization. Try, try legalization, then trying to stop the demand rather than the, the supply. Because oh. stopping the supply has never, ever worked. Didn't work with alcohol. Yeah. It really just created organized crime. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's created the Mexican cartels today. Yeah. That huge amount of money. I mean, the whole country of Mexico is corrupt. Uh, uh, I'd hate to have been caught down there during this uh, uh, this uh, coronavirus thing. Really causes any kind of civil disorder down there because uh, there is no real civil authority that that's not totally corrupted by the cartels. And, right. And who knows what would happen? I got him on this uh, YouTube channel, this guy I know that's traveling around the world uh, or traveling around the United States actually on his motorcycle and camping out and he's kind of a fun guy and he got caught uh, just a few days ago down there in Mexico coming back from Cabo San Lucas and he was desperately trying to get to the border before he was afraid they were going to close the border down. He was going to be stuck in Mexico. Shit, I reckon. <laughs> on a motorcycle and, and he didn't really have, he's not a guy that has a whole bunch of cash money either. No, you know? shit. So, <laughs> He's kind of scuffling, and uh, he probably he'd have friends. He has a lot of followers, so if if something happened to him, people would uh, would Venmo him or or do something like that to get him some money. But uh, but I'd rather anyhow, not run I'd into that. that. I'd rather not run into that issue. <laughs> really? Just 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 get stateside. So this this is the end of the pizza connection case. It was kind of like the uh, skim trials, man. It it took down a bunch of people and and stopped that whole thing. Now it's it's come back up since, and those uh, Sicilians are still there. They're running the Gambino family, uh, for sure. I'm not sure where they are with the Bonato family or what the modern iteration of that is. I can't remember. 
but they're definitely running the Gambino family. Well, it's it's like the skim trial in that you know whenever this goes down, there's, there were there were two there were there were two shootings after it. Whenever this, there's going to be there's going to be people who get killed. There was a guy Gitano Mazara, Mazara who was a made guy. He was he disappeared. He found with two sharp uh, stab wounds to his head. Uh, he was found with his watch, seven hundred dollars, and uh, his wallet with his ID. When they found him, he disappeared for four days. So you know, if he's found with all that, they they wanted him found. Uh, his lawyer said his absence was most vol- involuntary indeed. He must have been afraid he was going to testify or turn. Yeah. Pietro Alfano, he was shot in Brooklyn carrying groceries with his wife. Uh, a nurse from a local doctor's office helped uh, resuscitate, and he lived, but his wife said to him, we really shouldn't have come here, is, is what somebody heard her say. So it sounds like they, they shouldn't have come to New York. They were from, they were from Illinois. But just like, just like with the skim trial, you, you definitely you see people killed in the aftermath of the trial where they're going to testify. Alfano could have been that. That was they, they later found out Catalano had something to do with that, and that was a falling out between Bottolamente and Catalano. And then you've got Mazzara, and nobody knows why he why he got whacked out. He was fifty odd years old, and he was a made guy. So uh, maybe he was going to testify. Maybe he pissed somebody off. I don't know. Somebody's cousin's brother's uncle or something. People definitely were killed in the aftermath of this trial before before they got a chance to uh, take the stand. They were out on on a million and a half. Bail. That's a hell of a lot of hell of a big bond in the early eighties. Uh, Gaetano Badalamente. He got forty five years in prison. And he ends up dying in prison. And you know that friend of mine, uh, Steve St. John, was was in the joint with him. He was uh, he was asked by a uh, local guy, mob guy named uh, Junior Bradley, who that was kind of Junior Bradley's job was to have contacts in the penitentiary system all through the penitentiary, the federal penitentiary system. I was on a. Uh, uh, wiretap once and and actually it was a freedom phone that he had uh, that uh, we we had actually given him a freedom phone when you could just listen to those with a bearcat scanner right junior got a call and junior's uh you know you'll have to listen to my uh this undercover state trooper show and to hear all about junior bradley it was about two or three weeks ago folks i don't want to go back and explain he was just a mob fence and a good guy and uh, but he got a call uh one day to go Send word to send word up to Leavenworth to take care of some kid that was coming up there. And so my friend Steve uh, was out in Springfield at the hospital, and Bottlemente was down there, and, and he got a call or message from Junior to, "Hey, this guy's down there. I want you to take care of him. We we want to make sure he's looked out for and anything he needs." So Steve started butting around with him, and uh, took you know no did whatever shit. he wanted him to do, and and palled around with him. Here's a, here's a little clip that. Uh, I recorded over the phone with Steve because, you know, we can't do anything in person now. I was at Springfield Medical Center, and I got word from a very dear friend of mine from Leavenworth that a friend of his was coming down, and he asked me to look out for him. And I found out his name was Gaetano Badalamente, and uh, he came down because I believe he had cancer. I started helping him do his commissary because... That was a little bit confusing for him because he didn't speak a lot of English. We became friends. We played cards together and ate together, and he used to cook and bring it down to the rec hall. And uh, he was just a really good guy. Very dangerous man, but he was a really nice guy to me. And that's all I cared about. And everybody liked him. You know, he was a very powerful man in Italy. He was from a place called Cincy, Italy. He used to cook, and, and he had a sense of humor in his own way. 
he was just glad to have me help him with his commissary and play cards with him and just ended up being a really good friendship. He didn't make friends with everybody. I remember one time that he cooked some pasta for us, as he did a lot, and he would bring it down from his unit that he was on. And he'd bring it down, and we were sitting there eating, and some guy from New York come over to him and said, where's mine? And Gaetano looked at him, and he said, I only a cook for people I like. And boy, that guy just turned flat gray and walked away. And I thought, whoa, what a stupid thing to say. But that's just the way he was. He was very firm. He used to have a lot of people come down from Italy to see him because they was having a lot of problems with judges getting killed over in Italy. And I guess maybe they thought he could slow it down or something. But anyway, bottom line is he's passed on now, but he was a really good guy, good friend. Now that was uh, my friend Steve St. John on being in the penitentiary with Gaetano Badalamente. And, you know, he, he was a stone killer. Uh, people in Sicily were petrified of him as you were in the yeah. life. But but Steve found him to be a pretty genial fellow, <laughs> 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 which is the way these guys are. That's that's one thing I've always noticed about him. You know, uh, these guys, most of them, uh, on a personal level, they've got good personalities and they're pretty genial guys. Now, don't get on the wrong side of them. Yeah, yeah, right. So this trial went on for a year and— Rudy Giuliani made his bones and went on to <laughs> be the president's personal lawyer now, but uh, we, <laughs> we won't know, go down that path. We all know we? where that ended up. <laughs> we don't need to go down that path. I don't really have anything else on it. It was a hell of an investigation, man. I, this Carmine Russo, I'd like to get him on. I'm going to have to make a run and see if I can't find him just to find out about the rest of his career outside of this and a yeah. little bit about this. Yeah, need to need to reach out. That would be a hell of a hell of a damn interview. It would. All right, you got anything else, Cam? No, this was uh, you did a you did a lot of work on this, and it was a it was a big story, and you've you've been working on it for a while. So I'm I'm really glad you let me be a part of it. You've been a big help on a lot of other things too, and you were you're pretty good help on this. But I have to admit, I did I dove into this because I really yeah, found man. it fascinating. I found this thing fascinating. I see I record like we got a total of about an hour and forty two minutes. I may yeah. have to cut this up into two. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, my plan is I, I'm going to put all these up at one time so people can just stop and and then start it back up again. I'm going to. They're all sitting at home wondering, wishing they had something to do. Anyhow, that's right. It's going to take take me a long time to edit <laughs> you know you could just put this as a special long coronavirus episode yeah that's what it's going to be well, along with two or three others <laughs> give everybody something to do that's right lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Folks, uh, if uh, you want to hit the podcast up on the Venmo app, it's Gangland Wire. Give us a buck or two to help out with the different costs we have associated to it. And a lot of you have, and... Other donations, why we appreciate it. Now, remember, if you're a veteran or you believe you have problems that might come from PTSD connected to your service time, or even if you just have PTSD, you can call, if you're a veteran, and call your local vet center. Every big city has one or your VA hospital. Uh, but there's a national hotline, too, 1-800-273-8255, and press 1 if you're a veteran. Now, if you're a relative or, or you just want to know more about this or get, find some resources, there's a website the government has, the VA has, it's www.ptsd.va.gov, and this site contains a lot of really good resources for a family of, of veterans and, and for veterans or anybody that has PTSD. A lot of people suffer from that. You know, I have my book movies. I don't really feel like going down that path. Everybody knows I've got my movies, so uh. that brothers against brothers is a, is a hell of a is a hell of a thing. You, you never see somebody who's in the middle of a, who was in the middle of a mob war make it tell tell the story of it. You know, and, and and leaving Las Vegas where you've got the actual the actual mob clips in in the in the text of the story. That's that that's really something too. I was looking at that the other day on on the uh, on the Kindle. That was that was quite a that's quite a. Quite a compilation you've got there, leaving Vegas. It is different, isn't it? <laughs> I've never seen anything quite like it no, before. No, absolutely not. It's, it's kind of like my Kansas City Mob Tour app. There's not many of those no, Mob Tour like apps that. Nothing throughout like that. the United States either. I'm kind of surprised. But, you know, what do I know? I'm the king of digital in the, in the mob world. That's what uh, uh, Larry Henry down in uh, Fayetteville told me. I was the king of digital in the mob world. So <laughs> that's fine. I like doing that. Cam, I appreciate your help, and stay. good luck with uh, the coronavirus. I, I think we're all going to pull through this okay. It's just kind of more scary and maybe a little more panic out there than it needs to be, uh, but it is something that we need to be concerned about. Good night, folks. Good night, Cam. Good night, Gary. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey. <laughs>